Yo, 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 yo. That's a terrible intro. It's Velvet Owl here once again with another installment of Velvet Owl Watches Movies So You Don't Have To. Your 729 favorite podcast out there. This week, we're going to be watching, or I'm going to be watching, and you're going to listen to me talk about watching S&M Hunter, which is a Japanese film. So hopefully it's overdubbed or at least subtitled, but if it's not, you know what, I'm going to go with it anyways and just make up what I think is going on. But yeah, the description is, S&M Hunter is a kind of bondage superhero who has a talent for tying up women in configurations that leave them helplessly aroused. Oh boy. You know, it's been a while since I've done a titty flick, so I'm guessing there will be titties. And it's Japanese, so it's probably going to be all sorts of fucked up as well. And I don't know if I have really much to say, because I have no idea really what this is about. I just kind of stumbled across this. But it's 61 minutes long, so thankfully it's not... If it's bad and horrible, it's not going to kill too much of my life. So if this ends up being a shorter than normal episode, that's why. But really, a 61-minute Japanese movie called S&M Hunter. How can I pass this up? So we're welcomed into the Pleasure Dungeon by... I'm just going to call him the Dungeon Master. He looks like a... Dungeon Master. I don't know if I really know how to describe him. He, he looks cool. So I guess not really a Dungeon Master, because Dungeon Masters are kind of dorky when you're playing D&D. This guy looks cool. He's he's laid back, and he's introducing this guy who kind of looks like an underclothes, a plainclothes detective. And he shows them the different options that they have available. There's sadism, masochism, cross-dressing, and scat play, which scat play, we get uh, demonstrations of each of these. Scat play, thankfully, they don't go too far with the scat play. It, it's just sticking enemas up. You can either stick an enema up a girl's ass or have her stick one up yours. But luckily, we don't see any of the actual shit, just an enema bottle going in. And we learned that the sadism is really popular with accountants, which makes sense, I guess. Accountants have probably really terrible lives, and they want to take it out on someone. The cross-dressing is uh, very popular with athletes. And as I'm recording this, it's Pride Month, but... I'm recording a bunch ahead of time, so it probably won't be Pride Month anymore when this finally airs. So I don't know what that has to do with anything except their cross-dressing is probably what they used to think cross-dressing was like. Because he explains that, you know, it's really popular among athletes because athletes are secretly gay. As we know, that's really not the case whatsoever. I mean, athletes probably are all secretly gay. Just cross-dressing's not a gay thing. And the scat play. 
is very popular with the homeless people. Which just makes me curious as to where these homeless people are getting the money for scat play. Because it's $200 to do some scat play. And I think this movie's from the 60s, so $200 in like 60s money, that's quite a bit. What kind of homeless guy has $200 to be able to have an enema stuck up his ass? Really, like, it'd be cheaper just buy an enema and stick it up your own ass. But not as hot. Sticking up, sticking an enema up your own ass is kind of like jerking off. Having a girl stick an enema up your ass is like fucking Chrissy Teigen. Yes, Velvet Owl watches movies so you don't have to. The only podcast where you will get lines like having a girl stick an <laughs> enema bottle up your ass is like fucking Chrissy Teigen. So this plainclothes detective guy, he goes for the sadism. Good choice. So a wannabe detective guy pays his money and a girl dressed like a nun comes out. And he's yelling at her because, you know, it's the sadist thing. And calls her a toilet and a mound of meat. Makes her strip down and lick his boots. And I gotta say, if this really is a superhero movie, this is probably the most fucked up origin story. I mean, who wrote this? Mark Miller? hi Zing! Really, it's probably more Garf Ennis. But... Yeah, and then he just starts whipping the shit out of her. Meanwhile, Dungeon Master is in the background playing with a dildo. Ironically enough, the last time I played a D&D game, that's exactly what the Dungeon Master did as well. The nun passes out, and Dungeon Master tells the guy, Yeah, I don't think you're really a sadist or a masochist. I think you just like to hit women. But that's, apparently that's okay, because, you know, no matter how much you hit women, they recover. Oh boy, I hope they're the bad guys. But this is Japan, so who knows. But I, if they're the good guys, I can't root for them. But uh, Dungeon Master tells the guy that, you know, he's going to need a professional trainer to help him. And that professional trainer is S&M Hunter. Which, if he's a trainer, shouldn't he be like S&M trainer or S&M master? S&M hunter implies that he's hunting down people practicing S&M. Maybe that is the key. Maybe he's hunting down the women that are perfect for S&M. That is his superpower. But we get the introduction. Get some funky disco funk type music it's almost like we're about to meet shaft or something and snm hunter he's got uh he's got ring around the collar what the fuck am i trying to say he's got a priest outfit on with a bowler hat and an eye patch which features a skull and you know he's awesome or he's the villain really like I lean towards he's, like, the villain. I'm kind of wanting Captain America to pop up now and just punch him. You know, I mean, I guess this is after World War II, so the Japanese aren't really Cap's enemies anymore, but 
I want someone to come and punch S&M Hunter. I hope that happens in this film. Because already, like, I don't know. I, this film better not be trying to sell me on the idea that S&M Hunter is a good guy. Because what I've seen so far, unless this is like an origin story and S&M Hunter changes his ways when he realizes what a fucking douche he is, I can't root for him. Now, S&M Hunter, this is going to be really shitty trying to keep saying that over and over. But S&M Hunter shows off his great skills with ropes by single-handedly, without leaving his feet or really barely moving his arms, manages to hog-tie up the girl that was dressed like a nun and get some of the rope right in the middle of her vagina and with a sweet stroke of his finger... He is able to make her come, just pulling the exact rope that's right in the middle of her pussy. And I don't know, maybe S&M Hunter really is a hero, because bringing a woman to orgasm, I think that's being a hero. I mean, questionable on whether she has given consent... For him to bring her to orgasm. So, jury's still out on whether he's a hero or not. But Dungeon Master does point out that, you know, with these fine skills, that he'd even be able to do the same thing to Hulk Hogan. And now, that is a movie I actually want to watch. A movie where he's hogtied and S&M Hunter makes him come by pulling a rope. My God. Hulkster, do you you hear this? We got to make this. I understand, you know, Terry Bollia's dick is not Hulk Hogan's dick, so we'll be using Hulk Hogan's dick in this film. That's fantastic. I want this film. I want this film instead of S&M Hunter. So the client starts giving a sob story to the Dungeon Master and S&M Hunter. It turns out his girlfriend's been kidnapped by an all-girl biker gang called the Cherry Bombers, or the Cherry Bombs, I've already forgotten. And S&M Hunter is really looking this over, and he decides that he will take this case and save his girl, the guy's girlfriend. And I just want to point out, throughout this whole thing, while the guy's giving his story, and S&M Hunter is thinking this over, and Dungeon Master's trying to figure out what's going on, S&M Hunter is getting a blowjob the entire time. And absolutely no emotion on his face. So I don't know if it's like, is it just a really bad blowjob he's getting? Or has he gotten so many blowjobs that, you know, it just doesn't phase him? Or just... Maybe he's just emotionless. Or he's just focused on being a hero and the blowjob is just something that happened and he doesn't want to tell the girl no so it's like okay go ahead but my mind is not there for i am a hero so he is a hero who's gonna use snm tricks to save a girl from getting raped by a lesbian biker gang are we pretty sure are we sure that Frank Miller had absolutely nothing to do with the making of this film with writing it? Maybe it was an influence on him. 
Actually, it's not the guy's girlfriend. It's his boyfriend. So it's not lesbian bikers. They're heterosexual bikers that just want to rape this guy. Which doesn't really make much difference as far as this film. I I don't know. I Right now, I'm counting my blessings that this movie's only like an hour long. Because I don't know if I'd be able to take more than that. So the guy's boyfriend, he's all tied up. And the leader of the biker gang, she rapes him. She face sits on him and 69s him and then just goes full on. Because she's just going to have what she wants. Now, generally, nudity in rape scenes doesn't turn me on. It just... It does nothing for me. And apparently, as I've learned today, it still holds true when the woman is the rapist. You know, I like seeing naked titties, but not naked titties that are raping someone. It's... I guess I have to respect the character. I have to respect the titties that are on screen for me to get turned on by them. There's layers to me. I am not just a run-of-the-mill pervert. I I need to care. And now there's this new chick who wants to join the gang, because she hates men, so she wants to be able to beat the shit out of them. Understandable. So, you know what? Aside from their leader being a rapist, I'm kind of digging this gang so far. They're feminist. They need to take men down a peg, because men are ruining society now i'm probably attributing way too much (laughs) to them but she proves her worth because she helps recapture a guy who escaped and they've tied him back up in order to decide who's gonna get him there's a arm wrestling scene a topless arm wrestling scene now this is the type of nudity i go for purely gratuitous but in the name of competition or something just combines arm wrestling with titties i've said it before i i'm a big fan of the topless fighting genre and this isn't pure fighting it's just arm wrestling but they are topless and now i want a topless arm wrestling league this needs to happen let's get on this Someone join together with me. Let's pool together, start this league, and go on Shark Tank and get lots of money for it. But excuse me a moment while I go back to the topless arm wrestling. The big titty girl beat the little titty girl, which I kind of figured would happen because big boobs give you extra leverage when you're arm wrestling. That's why when I arm wrestle, I like to wrestle against scrawny guys because then like my moves just give me that extra just oomph to win who am i kidding i lose against scrawny guys as well but even though the big titty girl won and that means she gets to fuck this guy you know she lets the little titty girl also have some fun and i i kind of respect that there's a Nice little sisterhood here there that 
you know, just because one of them won, that doesn't mean that they're not all winners. Now, S&M Hunter is climbing up the mountain with his crew, which involves the dungeon master, the nun, and the client guy. And the nun is having trouble getting up the mountain, and, well, I guess more of a hill. It's more of a hill. Uh, but she's still having trouble, and no one wants to help her out because they're all dicks. Although, when they stop for camping, Dungeon Master decides to give her some dick. How? Yeah, that's my uh, sound when I make a bad joke. I probably will never do it again because I'll completely forget what the hell that sound was. So, and then they climb the hill some more, and they're getting to the evil biker gang's lair, and... SM Hunter tells the rest of them to just stay there because he's going to go at it alone because he doesn't need anyone. And he's basically just a dick if he dragged them all the way up the hillside and then leave them there like, I don't need you. I mean, maybe it will turn out he needs them and they'll save him, but he's SM Hunter. He doesn't need the help. So SM Hunter, he gets in the lair. He sees uh, the captured guy. He's The captured guy is still getting raped by... Um, I think it's the same woman from earlier. She's going down on him, which... I know most of you would be... Most of the guys listening would be like, Well, I wouldn't mind that, but... Remember, this guy's gay. And still, you know, there's a thing called consent. So, you know, it could be the world's greatest blowjob. But if I'm not in the mood, I don't want it. Do not go down on me unless I say yes. And that's just how it should be for everyone. Now, SNM Hunter, his cover's almost blown because he had to sneeze. But luckily no one heard him. And he sets up a trap. So one of the other gang members, she has to go to the bathroom. And she's there. Now, because it's old-fashioned, I don't know if it's just this way in all of Japan. If it's still modern-day Japan or if it's just older but it's one of those, like, the flusher hangs from the ceiling and you have to pull down on it. Like, it's a big, like, chain. It's not just, like, the normal plunger of a toilet. So she goes to pull on the chain and a net falls on her. And S&M Hunter ties her up and then sticks a vibrator up her. woo I felt I shouldn't be crass and say that he stuck a vibrator up her pussy, so instead I said he stuck a vibrator up her woo-ha! But, you know, for all of S&M Hunter's faults so far, he's better than Batman. I mean, he's gonna bring his enemies to orgasm. Batman won't even go down on his sometime girlfriend. Um... Granted, I think that's more DC saying, like, no, we can't have Batman going down on Catwoman because reasons. So, S&M Hunter, while he doesn't go down on his enemies, he is willing to let them have an orgasm. Although, it, I, can't, I think it just kind of makes sense, though, too. Because what's a good way to keep her, keep her preoccupied so that she can't, like try to attack you or call for help, stick a vibrator in there and let her come and come and come again. You know, Batman, 
This might be something you need to put in your utility belt. Even if you're not going to use it on Catwoman during sexy fun time, when Catwoman's on the side of evil, or if you're up against Poison Ivy, or Harley Quinn when she's on the side of evil. I don't know, she she flops back and forth a lot. What other female villains are there in Batman? Why am I limiting myself to just a female villains? This, I mean, let's admit it. Joker probably likes getting pegged. So this bad vibrator could work on Joker as well. Now the big titty gang member, she's just passing out drunk. So S&M Hunter strips her naked and ties her up. And, you know, that's just not cool, S&M Hunter. Just not cool. She's drunk, so she most definitely cannot give consent to being tied up. Which, I mean, I guess it's not the tying up that's the issue, because, you know, she's a bad guy, you're a good guy, that's something you do. But to take her clothes off, that's where the problem is. That I have an issue with, S&M Hunter. Just, she's drunk, so even if she said, take my clothes off, she is too drunk to give consent. So, super not cool. Um, The girl that's raping the guy hears the yelling, so she comes running to check on it. And she's not wearing leather pants. And that's it. No top. So, I mean, I guess maybe she thought it was so urgent that, you know, she couldn't waste time putting on a top. But, you know, she should put the leather pants on. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out the mindset there that, like, well, you know, gotta keep some sort of modesty, but these are just tits, so they can fly about. I can't waste time trying to cover them up. Which, I'm all for. (laughs) Who am I kidding? You know, it's an excuse to see tits. And... You know, it's at least consensual on her part because she decided she's not going to put a top on. It's not like S&M Hunter took her top off while she's drunk like he did with the other girl. I'm just, I'm disappointed you, S&M Hunter. You know, you're supposed to be a hero to the kids. So Topless Girl is going to try to help get her friend down by shooting at the ropes um, yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess it seems like a easier way if you don't have a knife and try to, you know, untie the knots yourselves, um, because this is, like, a pretty, like, impressive, like, they, he's, he's, like, made a web, she's, like, tied up inside of a web, and every time, um, the topless girl shoots part of the rope, the rest of the ropes just tighten up. So, um, yeah, S&M Hunter really is a master of the ropes, which is why, like, why isn't he S&M master? He's a master of these things. He's not hunting down, although he offers to put the topless girl in this, uh, rope web thing, because he thinks that she really wants it. So maybe he's, like, hunting down people that are into S&M. I, I still haven't figured it out. Should have been S&M Master, in my opinion. Hollywood, if you remake it, 
make him SM master and definitely work on the whole consent issue. And now SM Hunter is walking out of the lair with some funky music going on. I do dig the soundtrack. But I'm going to try to Spotify it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure this is on Spotify, right? The SM Hunter soundtrack. But he's walking out with the client's boyfriend in tow, and the lovebirds are reunited, and everyone's happy, and happy ending, and everything is all well with the world, and there's still half an hour in this. Oh, fuck me. Thing is, it's only been half hour so far, and this feels like I've sat through, like, Magnolia, the director's cut. So, after this other half hour, I feel like it's gonna be like Once Upon a Time in America, the ultra director's cut. And then our two gay lovebirds are getting it on, and I'm glad. It, it helps wash some of the grime off of me, because finally we're getting some consensual sex here, and that kind of helps make up for all the dirtiness of the, all the raping that's been going on. Now we're getting some sweet, sweet love, and S&M Hunter and his crew are watching on while they're eating a loaf of bread, which, honestly, that would be the perfect image to end this film on, and they're going to ruin it by continuing on this film. What the hell? At least they could have moved that to, like, the end of the film, like... God damn it, SM Hunter. Now you better end with some fucking like majestic image to top the image of SM Hunter and his friends eating bread while watching gay sex. And now the one girl from the gang has come to find SM Hunter, but not for revenge, because she wants to be tied up. She wants to learn how to be submissive, because. Her whole life, she's been the dominant one trying to, in her words, steal love. But now she wants to be dominated, which SNM Hunter is only all too eager to help. And he explains to her how, you know, God says that we're supposed to be punished for desire, but God created desire in us, so he shouldn't punish us. And I agree with him. I've always thought, like, that's kind of just bullshit of, hey, this is God, and I made you this way, and since I made you this way, you're going to hell. Like, what the fuck? You know? But that has nothing to do with really rope tying, I don't think. Maybe it does. But, anyway, she strips down, and before he ties her up, he rubs the rope against her crotch, which really turns her on, and there's lots of moaning. And then um, I think they're doing some sort of circus trapeze act because he's got her tied up, but she's up in the sky on a pole. Um, although, if this was a circus act, I would be all for it. Like, you know, the circus is just kind of a dying business right now, but, you know, it's a dying industry, but it could be revived with S&M rope tricks. So a lot of rope tying and moaning and I would think that I accidentally stumbled across a porn. I was going to say rented a porn, but 
I'm not spending money on this podcast. I just use stuff that's available on free streaming for the most part or a streaming service I already have. So I didn't accidentally run to porn. And I mean, this is really like pretty tame by porn standards in Japan. There's no octopus tentacles. So where was I going with that? Yeah, I I don't know if there's a plot really anymore. Just rope tying and moaning. And then after it's all over and she's getting dressed, she tells him that she loves him. But he tells her, no, you only love the ropes. And she says, I only love your rope. And, but unfortunately, S&M Hunter can't be tied down to her. Because in his words, he's a charitable sadist. And there's lots of masochists out there that need him. So he cannot love her. Such a shame. That is the burden that S&M Hunter has to live with. That he cannot truly love because he has too much love that he needs to give. And he's an asshole who fucking ties people up when they're drunk and can't give consent. So I don't care. You're not a charitable sadist. You're a fucking asshole sadist. But as the girl is walking away on the bridge, S&M Hunter chases after her and tells her that she left her rope. And they have a moment as they both hold the rope. And you think, will they give in and will they love each other? And I don't know because then suddenly it just zooms out. I hope I didn't get, like, overburdened by a fucking car that just drove by that was really fucking loud. But, so, I don't know what happened, because suddenly, like, the camera zooms out, and we just see the bridge, and you kind of see them tiny, and I think she walked away, and he stood there, or maybe he walked away, and she stood there, because they decided whatever this was, it wasn't that important. Honestly, I'm not even entirely sure anyone was still on that bridge. (laughs) It was just, here's a bridge. But back at the evil chick lesbian gang hideout, the new recruit, the one that just joined, and they weren't sure if she could work out. She's pissed off as all hell because, you know, they all got their asses kicked by a guy. And it's like, Fuck that. I hate guys. You know, we can't let ourselves be beat down by a guy. And she smacks all of them around. And she's like, I'm getting my revenge. And so she gets dressed in front of a fucking Nazi flag. Like, what? There's just a swastika. Just... Is this, like, just one of those, like, it happened to be laying around. They're like, ah, fuck it. We'll put it up and... That way you know she's evil. I mean, why is she in front of a Nazi flag? Suddenly, is she a Nazi? Is is this like a, this suddenly has become like a Nazi exploitation film? Um, which they're like Japanese, so shouldn't they have like a kamikaze flag or something? Um, yeah, I don't know. Did they have a flag? Did they have like a specific war flag? that they no longer use because it's associated 
with the evil Japanese of World War Two. Um, just why is she in front of a fucking Nazi flag? Is she a Nazi? Like, they've got the swastika. I don't know. Maybe she's like, I'm just waiting for her to now then be like, as an M hunter, I bet he's a dirty Jew. Just, I don't know. I don't know if this makes this movie better or worse. Just out of nowhere, she's getting, where the fuck did the Nazi flag come from? Was it just hanging out at the hideout and it just kind of draped down and she's getting dressed in a suit and tie? Because, I don't know. It's the Nazi flag. What the fuck? And, I mean, she just gets into full-on Nazi regalia. I mean, she's like fucking Ilsa, she-wolf of the SS here. And she goes outside and walks into broad daylight. Like this! Like, fucking dressed like a Nazi. I mean, I don't know. Like, I would think that even in Japan, that would turn some eyes, wouldn't it? People would be like, what the fuck? Nazi? Like, I mean... If she was doing that in Germany, like, she'd be arrested. But in Japan, I mean, I could get, like, it's probably not against the law in Japan to dress up like a Nazi. But it's got to be frowned upon, right? I mean, someone's going to be like, what the fuck? Nazi. And she sends a letter to S&M Hunter challenging him to a duel, which he agrees to, of course. And I guess the duel's gonna happen in this, like, construction yard by the waterfront. And he's driving a construction vehicle because reasons. I don't know. But I am... I am hopeful. <laughs> I am hopeful for this duel. I don't know what they're dueling each other with. I mean, obviously he's gonna use, like, a rope. And she's gonna... Well, she grabbed the chain. So it's like rope versus chain, I'm guessing. This is just going to be... This better be a fucking epic duel between an eyepatch-wearing rope master and a fucking Nazi uh, S&M master. I don't know. Just do not disappoint me, movie. Lunette decides it's time for doing some clock stretching, which... Uh, consists of her laying down on a clock-themed mat. It looks like a clock got the num numbers all around. And then she pretends her legs are like the minute hand and just moves them around. And basically just showing off how flexible she is. So I'm thinking this part of this segment of the show is geared towards the dads that have to sit and watch this show with their kids. So at least dads get, hey, she's flexible. I can uh, look over the fact that she's kind of a clown puppy. I'm not really sure what she... Because she has the clown nose, and she's got some freckles, but she doesn't really have, like, clown makeup. And she's got these weird, like, pig tails that kind of look like puppy ears. So I'm not entirely sure what she's supposed to be. But she's flexible. She's flexible like a clock. I don't know if that's a saying, but... Let's make that a saying. Hashtag flexible like a clock. 
But he is such a master with the rope that even blind, he was able to just use it like a whip and tie her up just with no effort whatsoever. And then even though we don't see how he does it, he strips her of all her clothes, which again, as an M hunter, consent before you take off someone's clothes. It's okay to tie up bad guys, but taking off their clothes, you still need consent. I don't care if she's dressed like a fucking Nazi. There's just, this is Japan. I, there probably aren't any consent laws in Japan. But and then after he, she's naked and tied up, he puts her on a crane, like a fucking crane, and he like lifts her up in the sky with it. And this has got to be against so many union rules, if they have unions in Japan. Like, seriously, he's blind, he's untrained, and he's not in the union. Like, how the fuck is he allowed to use a crane? I'm, I'm calling OSHA and reporting his ass. Like, he's taking off women's clothes without consent and operating machinery that he's not trained. And he's... Only thing worse if he was on some medication that you're not supposed to operate heavy machinery. But... I don't know. I would say being blind is a pretty fucking good condition to not operate heavy machinery under. I don't care how good you are with a rope. This isn't a rope. This is a fucking crane. We're not playing games anymore. Her life is in danger. And then he lowers her because he hears what he claims are screams of pleasure. Which, I guess I must have been having sex wrong all my life. Cause to me, those sound like screams of discomfort. It doesn't sound like any... Granted, I probably have never actually pleasured a woman during sex. That's also easily, uh, just as likely. But, I mean... Then again, this is a guy who doesn't know consent. So, it doesn't surprise me that he takes the sounds of discomfort as sounds of pleasure. But he tells her that he's able to see her heart. And her heart wanted the ropes. And then he fingers her butt. While some funky music plays. <laughs> like, I... You know, in doing this podcast, I say a lot of sentences that I just never thought I would uh, say in my life. Finger her butt is something, actually, I've expected to say many times. And I expect to say it many times in the future. Just not in terms of in reviewing a movie. He fingered her butt. So, I mean, that might have been another good spot to end the film on, but um, there's still another minute, so there's going to be some other scene. And, um, what? So, we're back to the Pleasure Dome, and the Dungeon Master... Um, which, oh, he actually is credited in the credits as the S&M Dungeon Master, so I was spot on on calling him that. So he says, you know, welcome to the Pleasure Dome. Do you want sadism or masochism? And then he must recognize whoever it is and go, you must be an extraordinary sadist. And then we hear the whip rope, so I... Don't know if it's, um, maybe he 
seen S&M Hunter, but, I mean, he would already know S&M Hunter, which, again, why is he S&M Hunter? He wasn't hunting anything. I mean, hunting down the guy that got kidnapped, I guess. But in that case, he's a kidnappee hunter or kidnapper hunter. He wasn't hunting S&M. S&M was coming to him. He should have been S&M master, not S&M hunter. And the film should have ended when they were eating bread while watching gay sex. Because that was just amazing. Now, that's something I never expected uh, to utter. Eating bread while watching gay sex. I want this to become a new, like, trope in movies. Come on, filmmakers out there. Have more films where people eat bread while watching gay sex. Let this be a genre upon itself. Someone reanimate Andy Warhol's corpse because I think he would be down for this he would make that film of people eating bread while watching gay sex I mean that would that's just that would be a pure like Andy Warhol movie okay if any of you are student filmmakers make that like your like final thesis or something make that film of just people eating bread and they're watching gay sex and call it like Andy Warhol's bread or something. I've got ideas. Hollywood. And I mean, I don't think Hollywood would be too much into that. But someone give me a film camera. I am I am making this video. I, You know what? I think I am going to make a video of me eating bread while watching gay sex. Because... I don't know, it's something that's got to happen, right? We've got some time to kill. So, you know how Mystery Science Theater 3000, if the movie was too short, they would uh, then throw like a little bonus to pad out the time? So I'm going to do that. Um, we're going to watch The Big Comfy Couch, which is about a couch that is big and comfy. And these weird clown-like characters that live on the couch, I guess. I don't know. I I think I once saw, like, half of an episode or something. I thought that the main clown girl is pretty cute. Um, I'm pretty sure she's at least in her 20s, maybe her 30s. So, it's okay. It's all good. I'm perfectly fine on this, uh... Okay. <laughs> so this episode is called Pie in the Sky. And the description is, Lunette and Molly learn about light and heavy objects. So I'm going to do my best to teach you about light and heavy objects. So we start off with the theme song that I guess tells us everything we really need to know about the show. That Molly, who's kind of this weird little like clown-like lady and i think she pretty much just lives on the couch she definitely sleeps on the couch which i can relate to that was kind of uh my college years and my post-divorce years and my i'm too tired to get off the couch and go to 
my actual bed years. So really a good chunk of my life has been spent sleeping on couches. So I can, I can relate to her already. And she's got this weird little dolly that talks to her. And uh, Lunette likes to read to Molly the dolly. And there's other characters who will also come by and hop on the couch. And pretty much I think everything's going to take place on the couch. Lunette's trying to get out of bed, a.k.a. the big comfy couch. But she just can't get herself up. Which is totally relate relatable. Um, I guess this part is kind of aimed towards the parents. Because I don't know what kids are watching and are like, Yeah, I can't get out of bed either. I feel so fucking tired. Not many kids. Kids are usually, they're up at 5 in the morning and telling you, Get your ass up. I want to play. I want to watch the big comfy couch. So, but I can relate to Lunette, and she thinks, like, you know, maybe it's gravity, which, yes, gravity does uh, add a lot to our feeling of heaviness. So, a lot of times, if we're trying to fight gravity, things can feel heavy. But, turns out, she was sleeping on a bowling ball. Like, (laughs) who does that? I can't even think of anything witty to say because she's on a bowling ball. Like, I mean, that's just going to fuck your back up all all sorts of ways to Sunday. (laughs) Sleeping on a bowling ball. But she tries to get the ball off the couch. But she falls off as well. And since she's feeling too heavy, she can't get herself up back on the couch. Because, dear Lord... I think, I don't know, like, maybe the floor is lava, and if she stays on the floor too long, she'll die. So she needs to get back to the big comfy couch. And Molly the dolly is trying to help her, but Lunette is too heavy. And Molly the dolly thinks she has a thought bubble of an elephant, which just is so not nice. Like, come on, Molly, you got to fat shame Lunette like that? She's feeling heavy, probably because she's on her period and having cramps. And I'm not trying to be like one of those everything wrong with a woman. Oh, she must be on her period. I'm just saying on their periods, women tend to feel bloated. They feel heavier. So I'm thinking uh, Lunette is on her period. So she's she's got all sorts of cramps. That's why she was sleeping on a bowling ball. She was hoping it would help crack her back. And so... You know, she probably feels really disgusting about herself that, you know, she feels like so super heavy, like, oh, and then you got to hear Molly Dolly, you're an elephant, you know, fucking fat shaming Lunette. I hate you, Molly to Dolly. You're mean. Stop being mean to Lunette. She just wants to get back on the couch. Lunette decides it's time for doing some clock stretching, which... Uh, consists of her laying down on a clock-themed mat. It looks like a clock got the numbers all around. And then she pretends her legs are like the minute hand and just moves them around. And basically just showing off how flexible she is. So I'm thinking this part of this segment of the show is geared towards the dads that have to 
sit and watch this show with their kids. So at least dads get, hey, she's flexible. I can uh, look over the fact that she's kind of a clown puppy. I'm not really sure what she... Because she has a clown nose and she's got some freckles, but she doesn't really have, like, clown makeup. And she's got these weird, like, pigtails that kind of look like puppy ears. So I'm not entirely sure what she's supposed to be. But she's flexible. She's flexible like a clock. I don't know if that's a saying, but... Let's make that a saying. Hashtag flexible like a clock. Now Lunette's feeling much lighter, so she decides she's going to jump on the couch and bounce up and down, which uh, just sets a bad example for the kids, you know? You don't want the kids thinking it's okay to bounce on the furniture. You know, I mean, they could hurt themselves, or more importantly, they can break the furniture and, you know... I'm sorry, but mom and dad don't have the money right now to be going out and buying a new big comfy couch. You're going to have to now sit on your broke ass floppy couch. Or your broken bean bag. I don't know. I don't think bean bags are that comfortable. I, I never got the appeal. But then Lynette teaches us how to blow bubbles. And I'll let you write your own joke for that. I'm not going to make the joke. This is a kid's show. So no jokes about blowing and bubbles and blowing. <laughs> but Lunette starts to pretend she's inside a bubble because she wonders what it's like to be in a bubble. And it's kind of one of those moments where if you're on LSD like or magic mushrooms or just anything making you trip balls, children's shows have to be, like, some of the best stuff to watch. I mean, I don't think this is, like, peak, like, just insanity that some of these shows go to, but, I mean, this is fairly, like, odd-looking of she's in a bubble, Molly Dodali's in a smaller bubble, and they're just kind of floating around, and the background is just random bubbles. So they pop their bubbles so that they can stop floating up in the air and come back down to the big comfy couch. Because everything has to come back to that couch. Because it is big and it's comfy. And when I say big, like, it's fucking, like, huge and massive. Like, Lunette looks like she's, like, a pet or something. She looks like she'd be the stuffed animal on this big comfy couch. And... So she starts scrummaging through the couch to see if there's anything else they can play with. And she finds a brick. As often is found in a couch, a brick. So how is this stuff getting here? Like the uh, Lunette's parents. Were Lunette's parents like working on like building something? maybe building a bowling lane and they were just like, okay, don't have enough time. Uh, we got to get out of here before Lunette wakes up and realizes we're here. We need to get the hell out of here. Um, yeah, no time to put things back. Just throw the ball and the brick into the couch. I mean, just, I mean like the bowling ball I can see cause 
maybe she came home from bowling and was just tired and fell asleep with the bowling ball and, you know, thought it would help with her lumbar support. But the brick! Why does Lunette have a brick? Or is it Molly's brick? Is Molly planning on smashing Lunette's brains in with a brick? I don't trust Molly the dolly. Lunette is looking for stuff that's light, and she finds some feathers, so she decides to blow feathers. Again, I'm not going there. You make the joke about Lunette blowing. This is an innocent kids show. I am trying to keep things classy. I will not make any jokes about the things that Lunette is blowing. So, but Molly wants to play the alphabet game. So, the alphabet game they shall play. They then play the alphabet game, where she's giving clues as to what letter you're supposed to guess. Even though she's standing right in front of a giant fucking letter A. So, you know, it's pretty obvious that the letter of the day is A. But at the same time, I'd like to think that, you know, my brain capabilities is much stronger than that of a five-year-old. So maybe it would be harder for them to guess that it was A, even though she's standing right in front of the fucking A. Just me. I would like a little more challenge in this alphabet challenge. Now, Molly the Dolly wants a story read. So, of course, Lunette's gonna, you know... Read her a story, and it's about a flying pie, like this, just pie, just is flying in the sky, and I don't know if anyone starts worshiping it, like the flying spaghetti monster, but all the kids see it and they're like, "I want this pie. I'm hungry. How do we get this flying pie?" You know, instead of going to their parents, go, "Can you go to the store and get us some fucking pie? We're hungry. Look, there's a fucking flying pie in the sky, and it's making us all hungry for pie." But luckily, there's a red balloon that helps bring every kid up to the pie to eat a piece. Not a hot air balloon, just a regular red balloon that apparently has enough strength to fly every kid up. And they eat the pie, and they're all happy, and end of story. And now I guess it's nighttime. So I guess this is a show that has like two episodes per each show. Well, I guess it's not quite bedtime yet, because in the big comfy couch, there's a red balloon. Because of course there fucking is. This this is like some sort of magical couch that just pops out like all sorts of random things. And Lunette decides, I'm going to use this balloon to get myself up to that pie in the sky. Granted, she has not seen a pie in the sky. This is just in a book. And I mean, she's still inside the house. I assume. So I don't know where she's thinking there is a pie in the sky. She's just assuming it. And so she goes looking for a spoon as well. Because, you know, you need a spoon to be able to eat the pie. She's she's civilized. She's not a fucking animal. She's not going to eat the pie with just her hands. Or do like a pie eating contest and just shove her face right into the pie and eat it all up. What? No, you're the dirty minds. You know, I'm just making... The, Honest, like, pure, innocent observations about her blowing things and putting her face in pie. And you're the ones that are thinking, ho, 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 ho. And no, that's just wrong. That is just wrong. So, but she has this spoon that's, like, almost as fucking big as her. 
and she jumps off the couch, and the balloon won't carry her, because Lunette has to learn about physics, and the fact that, you know, a balloon cannot carry a fucking person. But she's wondering why it won't carry her, and Molly, again, with her, calling her an elephant, and fuck you, Molly! You know, Lunette's just having a bad day. You know, she's already feeling heavy and bloated, and she just wants some pie, some comfort food to take care of her, and you gotta point out again, calling her fat. You know, you're a fucking bitch, Molly. You know, Lunette, you deserve a better friend. You can come over to my house, and we'll have some pie. Regular pie! Stop it, you listeners out there. And we see underneath the couch, and it's just kind of fucking disgusting out under there. And there's, like, these dust monsters just running around, and I'm just... I'm gonna pretend I didn't see it. So, uh, Lynette, Lunette, tied the balloon to Molly, because she had to go see someone. Someone rang a bell or something. And But Molly is much too light, and so the balloon is lifting her up high to the sky... Will she get that pie in the sky? I don't know why. I swallowed the fly. Well, it was a it was the mailman at the door, who is also a clown. So maybe this is just like Clownville, because there's a big like circus wagon. Um, I don't know if that's uh, Lunette's home, or it just happens to be like in the front yard. So, I mean, we didn't see where she came out of. So, that could be where she's living, inside of the circus wagon. But, you know, it's a really heavy package that Lunette and the mailman are struggling with. And in doing so, they don't see that Molly the Dolly is just flying by in her balloon. And they open the package, and it's just a fake elephant trunk that Molly put, or Lunette puts on, because everyone in this goddamn town seems to want to really fat shame Lunette and keep calling her an elephant. God damn it, Lunette is not fat. She's not even that thick. Maybe. I mean, she's wearing really baggy clothes, so it could be like Billie Eilish, where she's got these really baggy clothes and underneath she's just got like a really rocking bod that for some reason everyone's all like ee, ee. and you know how dare you fucking judge Billie Eilish she is a very beautiful woman and I would kill for a body like that so you know just lay off it you know Lunette you deserve better than this town you know I'm sick of everyone calling her an elephant so a bunch of fat shaming and fat jokes and painful attempts at slapstick and the mailman saves Molly to Dolly because they finally see that she's floating around on a balloon and he's happy because Lunette calls him a hero and since he's nice and innocent, he isn't going to try to, you know, leverage that into getting a handy because, you know, being a hero is its own reward. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't do heroic deeds in hopes of getting a hand job. That's just... Because if you do that, you're not a true hero. So remember that. If you take away nothing else from my podcast, take away the important lesson, true heroes do not do heroic deeds in hopes of hand jobs. 
That's a motto. Someone put it on a poster. So now Lynette's going to go teach at the dance academy. Um, I doubt she's going to teach us how to twerk, though that would be awesome. I would like to see Lynette twerk. So she does some ballroom dancing with a blow-up doll that's wearing a tuxedo. I mean, I don't know if it's really a blow-up doll, but he kind of looks like a blow-up doll. And, yeah, they dance, and he goes flying away because he's made of air and blah, blah, blah. And now it really is bedtime, and she's got to clean up the mess. And, I don't know, I think I might have been more offended by this than S&M Hunter. Just... I mean, it was dumb even by kids' show standards. Like, I mean, it's only saving graces that Lunette is actually pretty cute. And apparently she uh, does the voice for Claire Redfield in the Resident Evil games. So, I mean, why can't they put her in the Resident Evil movies? I want to see her out of this clown makeup. But, yeah. Whatever. I guess I'm done for the week. Uh, as usual, velvetal at hotmail.com. If you want to complain, though, really, like you only have yourself to blame for listening to me. Or if you want to suggest a movie, we've had some suggestions. I've done some suggestions. And. Or if you're on YouTube, you can comment on the YouTube page. Or you can send a carrier pigeon. All carrier pigeons know where I live, so you don't have to worry about it. Just find one, tell them, go to Velvet Al's house, and they will bring me the message. Until next time, hey yo, hey yo, hey yo, Velvet Al has to go. Find a better catchphrase. <laughs>